Okay, I apologize for being so far away from you guys. I normally don't like being this far away, but I gotta be in the shade. <laughs> it's gonna be uh, pretty crazy. I wanna get through this message, so. Uh, but thank you again. I know Anson uh, gave the rundown, but thank you again for coming out on this hot Labor Day. Obviously, we normally don't meet here, especially when it's this hot, uh, but we will be back at our old uh, venue next week, so please join us. Um, and for those of you joining us online, yes, please come back. We will be in an air-conditioned place. Um, in case you're wondering why we're out here, there's a jazz festival happening. Uh, the city is putting on this festival at the venue that we normally meet, so we got bumped out. So it's okay, but praise God we get to meet. Okay, um, oh yeah, by the way, if any of you guys are starting to feel very hot and you feel like, oh man, I got to get into something cool, uh, we do have a loft upstairs. It's air-conditioned, and there is an office downstairs, air-conditioned as well. So feel free to just walk into any one of those rooms and you can stream us on your phone. There's a TV upstairs already streaming. You can just, you know, hop up there and join um, that way. Okay, uh, Matthew 24, 12, and then John 13, 34 through 35. So open up your Bibles. We don't have a projector screen today because we're outdoors. But hopefully you brought your Bibles. Matthew 24, verse 12, and then John 13, 34 through 35. And if you're joining us online, you'll see it on your screen at home like usual. Okay, this is God's word. Please follow along as I read. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father God, we want to give you all the glory, Lord, and we want to thank you, Lord. Uh, when things are comfortable and good, we thank you and praise you. When things are not comfortable and maybe even not good, we still thank you and praise you because we know that you are with us. We know that, Father God, everything comes through the checkpoint of your sovereign goodness. And Lord God, all things are for the building up of your church and for, Father God, our building up. We are becoming more and more like you. You are shaping and molding us. And one of the things you're doing, God, is you are shaping us into a community of love. So Lord God, help us to be that. Help us to grow in this. Uh, truly, Father God, let us be your church, loving one another and loving you in the last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, last week we began a whole new series. It's a very short series, just a few weeks, on love in the last days. Love in the last days. And last week we saw how God is calling us to be a community of God's love. He's calling us to be a community that loves one another and also loves him with everything we are. And so that's what I'm talking about. So we must be marked by this love. We must be known by this love. We must love one another and love the Lord. And I said last week that this is not a kumbaya message. I know sometimes you come to church, you're like, okay, there we go again, talking about love. This is not a feel-good message. But rather, this is an urgent call. Why? Because I said this last week, and I'm going to review, but we are living in the last days. So this is an urgent call. Now, when I say the last days, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. I'm talking about the final era in God's plan of salvation. If we're running a race, this is the final leg in God's timeline of redemption. Okay, this is a time that we're all living in right now. At any moment, Jesus could return. 
And what I mean is there's nothing left in God's plan of salvation that needs to happen in order for the end to come. So this is the last days. Okay, this is what we mean. And Jesus, when he taught on the last days, he said there's going to be something that marks the last days. It's going to characterize the last days. Look at Matthew 24, 12. Jesus said, in the last days, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So pay attention to what he says. He said, when lawlessness increases in the last days, love will decrease. So there will be a greater and greater increase in lawlessness. What are we talking about? I'm talking about a breakdown of God's order and society. I gave a bunch of examples last week. I'm not going to do that again. Okay, just go online. Just look around. You see it? There will be more and more false teachers teaching things contrary to the word of God. It's getting hard to even recommend Christian books nowadays or even just telling them to just go check out a church anywhere. Maybe they might face false teaching. It's increasing everywhere. There's an increase in immorality in the church as well. And again, there are examples everywhere. And so if you're curious, if you're not sure about all these things, then just go online and you will see plenty, right? You will see it everywhere. And last week, we saw why is lawlessness increasing? So why is this happening? Well, it's because the spirit of the lawless one, and when I say lawless one, we're talking about the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. And what is this spirit doing? So sometimes we read about these things in scripture and we go, I have no idea what this is talking about. What is this spirit of the lawless one doing? It's preparing the world for his coming. Listen to 1 John 4.3. John said, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Did you hear that? Any spirit. I don't care how good, how moral, how religious somebody is. If they do not acknowledge Jesus as the son of God who came from God, that is the spirit of Antichrist. And John said, this spirit which you heard was coming is now in the world already. So that's the important point. This spirit is already in the world. And what is this spirit doing again? It is preparing the world for his coming, the Antichrist coming. So you know what this means? This means the world is not in a neutral state. It's not like, oh yeah, the world is just going on the way it's always going on. And then one day, when the Antichrist shows up, he's going to somehow influence the world in some dramatic way, sudden way, and then, oh my gosh, we're going to be taken hostage. That is not the picture the Bible paints. But rather, long before he gets revealed, he comes on the scene, his spirit is already working so that the world will be in tune with him when he finally comes. The world will be in tune, will be in sync with him. And so when he finally gets revealed, you know what will happen? He will just simply step onto the world stage as if this is already his place. Like a hand sliding into a well-fitted glove. So this is what the spirit of Antichrist is already doing in the world. It is preparing the world for his coming. And that preparation is coming mainly through persecution and deception. Again, we mentioned this last week. I went through a bunch of examples and numbers to prove that this is true. Uh, we won't go through that again. But it is mainly happening through persecution of the church and believers and also deception of the world. And this is causing lawlessness to increase. So this is the situation we're in. This is the last days we're living in. And here's where Jesus makes a very important connection. Okay, so what? Lawlessness is going up. Okay, how does this affect my life? Jesus said, as lawlessness increases, 
And by the way, what is lawlessness? It's a rejection of God's authority, God's word. Okay, I don't want that. Okay, I see the word of God, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It has some fun stories. But I don't want this. Even if you mentally accept it in your heart, you don't live by it. Okay, that is lawlessness. As lawlessness increases, love will decrease. Okay, that's Jesus' insight. That's the connection he's making. When lawlessness goes up in the last days, love will go down. And so why? Well, as more and more people hear God's command to love, okay, love God with everything you are, your mind, heart, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. The whole Bible hangs on these commandments. People, more and more, they're going to hear it, and then in their hearts, they might think, eh, you know what, that's an okay idea, but they reject it. They reject it in their hearts. Their selfishness is too precious. Okay, loving like that is too costly. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live like that. So they will reject God's command. Or they might accept it, but they're going to redefine what love is. And so we saw this last week. But they will redefine what it means to love. They will redefine what loving God is. I can love God without going to church, for example. I can love God without obeying his word. I can even love God and have unforgiveness in my heart. I mean, I just kind of ignore that, but hey, I love God. So they're redefining what it means to love God. You know what else? They redefine what it means to love others. See, loving others, yeah, I'm all about loving people, but they redefine it. You know, right now as we speak, I saw this online last night, but there is a different gathering happening here in downtown Riverside, and they're celebrating a different kind of love. And if you're interested in what I'm talking about, you can look it up online. But there is a completely different kind of gathering happening right now, just a few blocks away, and it is a redefinition of love. They are celebrating a different kind of love. And so this is what Jesus meant by the love of many will grow cold. And as you came here today and you're thinking, okay, what is all this about? Maybe we're experiencing that. Maybe even in our church, there's a redefinition of love. I hope not. I pray not. So this is what Jesus said. As lawlessness goes up, the love of many will go down. He didn't mean that people will stop talking about love. No, there's a lot of talk about love. I think the most popular topic about songs is love still, right? People write songs about love all the time. He's not even saying that people are attempting to not love. No, they're attempting to love all the time. But true love, loving God with everything you are, loving your neighbor as yourself, that's going to grow cold. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying. So we are in the last days. Okay, this is the context we're in. And now, in this context, Jesus says, be the church. Right? Be my church. Love one another. Be my community of love. So do you see how critical this is? This is not a kumbaya message. This is an urgent call. Jesus says, you need to be known by my love. Be known by my love. In fact, as the world goes darker and darker, be known even more and more by my love. Kind of like when the night sky gets darker and darker, the, sh the stars come out and they shine brighter and brighter. That is what Jesus is calling us to be. And Jesus said, if you do that, the world will know you are my disciples. So that's how people are going to know we are Christians. They will know us by our love. So all of that was context. All of that was background. That's what we're talking about. And then last week, we started talking about the marks of Jesus' love. And so there's five of them. We looked at the first one, and I want to look at the rest today. But there are five marks 
of Jesus' love. And these marks are very important. Because if you don't know Jesus' love, if you don't have Jesus' love, then we cannot love one another. Just because you heard a message on love, even in this heat, just because you read a book on love, you're not going to go out there and love others from the heart. We won't, because we're human beings. We must know and receive his love first. So then, what are the marks of Jesus' love? Well, first, number one, the first mark of Jesus' love is it went to the end. So this is what we talked about last week. The first mark, it went to the end. And that word there is a Greek word in John 13:1, but it's not the end of a movie, but rather it means the ultimate. It went to the ultimate point. It went to the max. When Jesus loved us, he loved us to the greatest point possible. That's what it's talking about. He loved us to the end. So we see this in John 13, verse 1. This is at the very beginning of that chapter of the passage we read earlier. But look at John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, his hour to depart from this world and go back to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, not meaning the end of his life, the end to the max. So Jesus loved his disciples to the max by washing their feet. And then it goes into that beautiful story of Jesus washing their feet. But how does that show us that Jesus loved them to the max? You might be wondering that. I mean, washing feet is beautiful, but why is that to the max, right? Well, the reason why is because feet washing was just a symbol. It was a beautiful picture of what we should literally do. We should wash one another's feet, you know, in many different ways, maybe even literally, I know churches that do that literally. So we can do that literally, but even bigger than that, it was pointing to a bigger picture, which is Jesus' love for us on the cross. The feet washing was just a smaller picture of the bigger picture of the cross. It was a sign pointing to the cross. And so this is where we need to start if we're going to love one another. We need to understand that Jesus loved us to the max. See, this is my desire. I want us to be known by our love. When people come to our church, I want them to know. It's like, man, Promise Church, man, they meet when it's 110 degrees outside, right? I mean, it is just dang hot, but they love one another. And so maybe I'm going to come back. Next week, we'll be inside. But it's like, I, you know, I want to come back. There, there is love in this place. But how are we going to be that kind of community of love? Again, it's not because you heard a message on love. It's not because you read a book on love. You need Jesus' love. You need to know his love. You need to understand to the extent that his love went for you. Okay, this is the picture here. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the max. And then he washed their feet, which was a foreshadow of the bigger picture of the cross. And why is this so important? Why can we not love one another on our own? Okay, why can we not do that? Well, the reason why is because in our hearts, there is a greater love that we have. There's something else we love to the max. It's ourselves. And in our unguarded moments and not so unguarded moments, this love for ourselves begins to bubble up. We can't hide it. We can't hide it. So for example, maybe this happened to you, but when someone suddenly comes to you and says, hey, I'm moving this weekend. Can you help me to move? And this was your one free weekend, right?
Hello? Okay, great. Saves my voice. So we know, right? We know what is in our hearts. In those unguarded moments, what bubbles up. But if somebody were to suddenly ask you to move this weekend, and this is the one weekend you have, for free, uh, you have to yourself, what happens? Suddenly, your face drops, your heart becomes burdened. Okay, why? Your friend needs help. Well, because this is the one weekend I have, right? So we, we know this. When a homeless person asks for help to get food, and you just bought lunch, and this happened to me one time. I literally walked out with my lunch, and I was driving in my car, and then somebody asked me for help. And then suddenly, you're like, dang it, I just bought my lunch. It's right here next to me in my car. Okay, wh why not just gladly give it without any thought whatsoever? I mean, we have money to buy another lunch. Why not? Well, it's because we have this self-love bubbling up in our hearts. Maybe at work or at school, there's a chance to take credit for something, even if it means taking the credit away from someone else. Okay, why do we not just automatically, by default, just say, hey, let the other person have the credit? Okay, many of us might say that, but it's after a long struggle, right? We are burdened. We struggle. Why? Again, it's that self-love bubbling up in our hearts. So those are just a few examples. There are countless others. But this is the selfish love in our hearts. And this is what hinders us from loving one another. And this is why we must, we must know and understand Jesus' love for us. And so this is who we are. Okay, this is what we love the most. And what we love the most is always ourselves. And so then what can break this spell over our hearts? Okay, what can free us from this self-love? Again, it is Jesus' extravagant, overwhelming love for us. See, we need to understand what happened upon the cross and then receive it in a personal way. Okay, last week I said this is the only time the word me is good. But you need to make that personal. He died for me. He went to the max for me. See, it needs to become that personal. It needs to penetrate and pierce your heart and heart. You know, yesterday we had a wonderful time at the parenting seminar. It was our last one. It was a good time. And during that meeting, I shared at one point that the consistent way God humbles my heart and breaks my heart down, especially when I'm feeling far from him or maybe feeling hard towards him, you know what's the consistent way? Is when he shows his goodness to me when I don't deserve it. And that has consistently humbled my heart and softened it. It's when God shows his kindness and love and mercy when I don't deserve it, that is what brings me to repentance. Isn't that what the Bible says? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so this is what needs to happen to you and me, brothers and sisters, is your heart needs to be softened by his kindness, by his love. And where do you see that? Upon the cross again. Okay, we need to see and taste how far Jesus went for us. So his love will change our hearts. See, his love is not just a pattern of how we should love one another. Again, when you see him washing the feet, when you see him humbling himself, dying on the cross for us, that is a model for us, but it's more than that. It's not just a pattern, but it's also the power of how we're going to love one another. Okay, this is where we get the power. Okay, this is why Jesus called the command to love one another, a new command. Look at John 13, 34. We read this at the very beginning. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Okay, why, why is this new? Because we already have this command in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. God already gave this to us, love one another. Why does Jesus say this is new? Well, the reason why is because it's new in its pattern. 
See, in the Old Testament, we never saw this kind of love before. We never saw God demonstrate love in this way before. It's a new pattern. Not only that, but it's also a new power. See, when we're under the law, when all we have is ourselves, in the Old Testament, we just have the law and that's it. Then we can try to love one another. That's all we have, the command to love. But then we're going to fail every time. It's just us. It's our willpower. And in our hearts, we always have this self-love. And yet Jesus, when he finally came, and when he was about to die, he said, there's a new command now. It's the same command, but there's a new power now. See, if you are in me and I am in you, then you will love one another. You will love. So have you received this love, right? Do you see it? Have you received it? So that is the first mark of his love. It went to the very end. But here's another mark. Okay, this is number two. His love filled up. It filled up. Look at verse 3, John 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. So what is this talking about? Well, here we see the source of Jesus' love. And his love didn't come from a vacuum. It didn't come from just, I don't know, I'm just a loving person. I'm a loving God. But rather, his love came from this unique relationship he had with God the Father. It says here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he had this special relationship, knowing that he had come from God the Father and was going back to God the Father. And so in this special relationship, what happened? He was filled up. He was filled up with Father's love. So though Jesus himself was God, he was in this special relationship with God the Father. And as he was in this community with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, he was filled with love, even as a human being. He was filled up. And this is why he was able to pour out such extravagant love. And this is maybe the most amazing picture, the most amazing revelation in Scripture that the one true God is actually three in one, that he lives in community. You know, I remember when I was back in seminary, there was a visiting professor, and he said he dedicated his entire life to study one thing, the Trinity. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to pay attention to what you're going to say. You dedicated your life to this. He's written books on the Trinity, studied the Trinity for decades. But to him, it fascinated him that the one true God would actually be in community. But this is what the Bible says. God is a community. And God, okay, please pay attention. God perfectly loves God. God the Father perfectly loves God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus, as he's in this community, he was able to receive and be filled up with perfect love. And so the Father's love filled Jesus up. He received all things. He knew he had come from God the Father. He was going to go back to God the Father. Okay, Jesus knew. God sent me. His love sent me. And his love is now going to bring me back home. Okay, Jesus knew that. So you know what this means? Jesus clearly knew who he was. See, he was filled with love. Okay, there was love that he had known from eternity past. And so he knew exactly who he was. Okay, he knew exactly where he belonged, where he was going, why he was here during those three years. He knew exactly In other words, the Father's love gave Jesus his identity. 
And this is a very important point because if we're going to love one another, we also need to be filled up with his love so strongly that we need to be rock solid in who we are. Okay, we need to know who we are. We need to be filled with his love to that degree. And you know what? You can because God is now inviting us into his community. See, that's the, another wonder of wonders is that God, the triune God who's been in community for all eternity is now inviting us to be a part of that. Okay, not to become God ourselves, but to simply be in relationship with him. Okay, in this triune community. The Father said, I and you, or Jesus rather, said, I and you, Father, and you and me, and us and them. Right, John 17. We're invited to be a part of this community. And as we join God in this community, you know what happens? Kind of like rainwater. I hope we get some rain soon. But in the same way rain pours down and fills any pothole in the street, Okay, God's love, as we join this community of his love, his love will fill the pothole of our lives. Okay, we're the pothole, but his love will fill us. It's going to fill our hearts, our minds. Okay, our, our identity is going to be shaped by this. And so this is how we're going to love one another. But, but you might be wondering, okay, that sounds great, Roy, but, but how do I know that I'm filled with his love? Because I've been a Christian for a while, but how do I know, right? Well, this is a very simple way. You know you're filled with this love, kind of like a big lemon that's really just juicy, filled with juice. When you squeeze it, what happens? The juice comes out. And in the same way, you know you are filled with God's love. When you are squeezed and under pressure, what comes out? God's love. You're going to see love coming out. You know, uh, a few years ago, I remember hearing this amazing testimony. Um, I think it was a church online, and I was listening to their service. And they talked about this one man, and he had this terrible disease. I forget what it was. It might have been Lou Gehrig's disease, but he was locked up in his room. He couldn't even get out of bed. He was bedridden. And so he was facing enormous pressure. So again, it's kind of like that lemon being squeezed. And so imagine, you can't even get out of bed. You can't even go to work or go to school. I mean, you, this is your life now. And yet, as his life was being squeezed in that way, the most beautiful love began to come out. But the church gave an invitation to anybody who wants to be a small group leader. And this man, basically, with just a few movements he had with his finger, typed an email to the pastor saying, I want to volunteer. And the pastor was blown away. You want to volunteer to be a small group leader? He was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the word of God. Um, I think I can do this, even from my room. I just need somebody to set up a computer for me. And we have, like, Zoom now. Back then, I don't think they had Zoom. They had, like, Skype or FaceTime. But I could do this from my room. And you know what? He did. And I heard it was one of the most blessed small groups. A bunch of people signed up and they met every week over the internet. And so, so do you see that? In the most intense pressure that you could imagine, as you're getting squeezed, what came out? Love came out. I've seen this repeatedly. I remember this one girl, uh, I worked with her back when I was in college ministry, but she was struggling financially. She was genuinely struggling to pay for her school fees. And then she got this financial aid check. So now she could pay a portion of her school fees. But then during that time, I remember the church was having some big ministry opportunity where they uh, needed to raise funds. And this girl, this precious sister, got convicted in her heart as she's being squeezed, right? She couldn't even pay for all of her school fees. And she's like, Roy, I, I want to give. And I'm like, are you sure? And I don't recommend this, but then she gave a portion of her financial aid check to the church. So you need to have wisdom, right? I'm not saying you should do that, but, but I'm talking about the heart, right? When that pressure came upon her, what, what came out? Love. Okay, love came out. 
So how do you know that you are filled with God's love? Again, as you are in this community with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus was filled with love. You will be filled with love. And how do you know? Well, what do you do when pressure comes? See, a lot of people, unfortunately, Christians too, they get very inward focused. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't do anything right now. I can't come to church. I, I can't really listen to your problems. I can't even really help out with anything because I'm going through a lot of stuff. And to a degree, I understand that. But when the pressure comes on and your life is getting squeezed, what is pouring out? Right? The Christian who is filled with love, it's love. It's love. And so that is the second thing we see is that his love filled up. It filled him up. Number three, the third mark, his love laid aside. His love laid aside. Look at John 13, verse 4. Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. This is all coming from the same story of him washing the disciples' feet. He laid aside his outer garments. And this is the point of the story where we see not only the greatness of his love, but we see the greatness of his heart. Jesus' heart truly was unbelievable. The greatest heart that ever lived. But who would have thought in their wildest imagination that, they, that if there is a God, and a lot of pagans all throughout history, Greek philosophers even, imagine that there is a God. If there is truly a God in heaven, who would have imagined that this God is a servant? And not just a servant who drops gifts, right? <laughs> Sends je- uh, checks, like the White House does occasionally, sending us checks. But rather, he comes to us and he washes our feet? Who would have imagined that? Think about all the gods that people have imagined throughout recorded history. Think about all the gods that you read about in Greek mythology. Can none of them even come close to this image of the true God? Okay, most of them are just petty, they're angry, they're selfish to the core. It's all about them and us appeasing them. And yet, when Jesus came and revealed who God is, because he is God, he said, no, God is a servant. God is, at his core, a servant. And so this is the complete upside-down kingdom. He laid aside. When he came, he didn't take. He laid aside. So he laid aside his rights. He laid aside his comforts. He let it, laid aside his riches so that we may be comforted. We may be rich. Okay, we may be with him. So imagine. Okay, imagine how counterintuitive this is. In our world, you know this, but greatness is measured how? By how many people serve you. You know, Biden, he was in politics for many, many years, but I bet, I know this, when he became president, what happened? The number of people serving him shot up exponentially. All kinds of people started serving him. And so we know that. Oh, you're a great man now. You're the president. More people serve you. And so that's how the, the world measures greatness, and yet you guys know this if you've been coming to church. But how does the kingdom of God measure greatness? How many people you serve? Because how many you serve? And this is why Jesus is the greatest of all. He served the whole world by giving the most precious thing he had, his life. He's the greatest of all. You know, I remember a friend I had uh, back in college, and one time we were just kind of hanging out talking, and he was talking about his childhood. He grew up very poor. And he remembered how his mom, when he was little, would cut the apple. Okay, they didn't have much, and occasionally they would have an apple as a treat. I'm like, wow, wow, you must have really grown up tough. But they had an apple as a treat, and he said, you know, my mom, every single time when she cut the apple, she would give me the best part. She would give me the best part, and she would take just the little part that's left over on the peel. And she would always do that. 
And looking back on that moment, I remember even as he shared that story with me, he was moved. I could tell on his face. He was very emotional. He was moved by that. And why is that? Was because even human beings, and I don't even know if that, that person is a Christian, my friend. Okay, I hope he is. I don't, I'm not sure. But even somebody who's not a believer, we know that. Somebody who sacrifices for you, that is greatness. Okay, even a non-Christian knows that. Okay, we suppress that truth. But in moments of tenderness, vulnerability, we know that. When you serve others, when you serve me, that is greatness. You're great. So how much more should we be moved by what Jesus did for us? Right? I mean, a mom doing that for us, yeah, that's very special. But how much more what Jesus did for us? And once you're moved by Jesus' love, how do we follow his love? Well, we do the same thing he did. He laid aside. So are you going to lay aside your status and your rights? You know, I love this country, you know, the land of the free. I love America. But you know in America, the idol that we worship is personal rights, individual rights. We worship freedom, individual rights. But are you willing to lay that aside? Right? Are, are you willing to put that aside so that we could be like Jesus and lay aside what we have for the sake of others? And so Jesus, in all four, uh, or actually not all four Gospels, but in this Gospel, but in all other Gospels, you see this. But he laid everything aside. You know, um, I mentioned this last week, but it was very, very telling what Jesus was doing. It was kind of like a rebuke to the disciples. Because right before Jesus washed their feet, I mentioned this last week, but you know what was going on? The disciples were arguing, who's the greatest, right? So imagine this. Here you are, you're in this argument, okay, you're kind of like measuring each other's height. You're puffing out your chest. It's all about who's the greatest, who's closest to Jesus. No, Jesus likes me more. No, he likes me more. No, he sent me out to do greater things. No, he sent, right? They're just arguing back and forth. And in the midst of that fight, Jesus quietly gets up. And by the way, somebody should have been washing their feet, right? That's a custom in that time. But there was no slave, so nobody got up to do it. And Jesus, in the midst of this argument of who's the greatest, he quietly gets up, lays aside his garments, puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to fill a basin with water, and everyone gets quiet. So what is he doing? Is he going to wash our feet? And so this is Jesus' rebuke. Okay, he was saying, you guys, and this is all of us, you're always calculating your status, right? You're always calculating who's better than you, who's worse off than you, who has more privilege than you, right? We hear that word a lot these days, privilege, okay, rights, okay, who has more, who has less, who's being shifted, right, short shifted, who, who's not getting what they deserve? And in that context, I believe even today, Jesus is quietly rising up. And he's taking off his garments, and he's beginning to wash people's feet. He's washing people's feet. This is a rebuke, brothers and sisters. This is a rebuke. This is why nobody ever gets up and lays aside anything in the workplace. I mean, that rarely happens, right? At your school, that rarely happens. And unfortunately, even in the church, we rarely see people getting up to lay aside their rights in order to wash each other's feet. Okay, when's the last time we did that to each other? You know what? I have this right to do this today and to go here and do this, but you know what? I'm going to lay that aside so that I could be with you and hear your problems. Okay, that's washing feet. Going back to that example of moving, you know, this is my one free weekend this month, but I will lay that aside to go help you move. That's washing people's feet, right? That's washing people's feet. And so this is another way we can follow Jesus' love is that we lay aside our rights. Here's one more 
But we can also follow his example by meeting the needs and others that nobody else wants to meet. It's fine meeting the needs of your friends, but we like our friends anyway, right? Even the pagans do that, the Bible says. Even non-Christians love their friends. Oh, yeah, come over and just crash at my place for a while. Oh, yeah, borrow my stuff, right? Take my car for a weekend. I mean, even non-Christians do that. Okay, what benefit is that to you? But God says, but if you want to be like me, you need to love the ones who are not lovable. This is what God did for us. So who in your life do you not want to love? Okay, if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we need to love them. You know, some of you guys know this brother, but he used to come to our church and... You know, these days we see a lot of homeless people, especially since COVID, and we kind of like maybe avoid them, walk around them, park far away so we don't have to talk to them. But this brother, and I'm not, I'm not guilting anybody, we need to be safe and wise, but this brother, rather than walking around the homeless people and avoiding them, he actually went straight to them. And he said one day, Pastor Roy, this is years ago, but he's like, Pastor Roy, I want to start a ministry for these people, but I want to start gathering them once a week in the park and begin to have a Bible study, and can the church provide care packages? I'm like, yeah, of course. So we started uh, providing you know, food, care packages, every week for him to deliver it. And you know what happened? It began to grow. It became a real ministry. I think at one point, 20 people from that ministry came to our service, and I remember them. They all sat up in the front. They were all, you know, they washed up the best they could. But unfortunately, it still wasn't, you know, what we expect, our standards. And yet, God bless our hearts. They came to church, they sat in the front, and they listened to the sermon. They worshiped with us. And it was all because of this one brother. See, he went and met the needs of people that nobody wanted to go to. And so again, this is what Jesus did. He laid aside his rights. Not only that, he went to those who were the most unlovable. Literally, moments before he washed their feet, they're fighting over who's the greatest? I mean, would you want to like show love to a group like that? No, but Jesus did. So that is the third quality. Number four, we're going to run through these quickly, and then we're going to close. It's getting very hot. I'm trying to drench here. His love picked up. His love picked up. It says in John 13, verse 4 and 5, Jesus picked up the towel in the basin. And taking a towel, Jesus tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So back in Jesus' day, it was very customary. For anybody who showed up at a dinner, that they would immediately have their feet washed. Why? Because it was dusty. There were no cars. There weren't even carriages. You just walked everywhere, and you didn't have hiking boots. You had sandals. So just imagine, you're just walking everywhere in sandals. And so by the time you get to your destination, even if it's a very fancy banquet, a nice dinner, your feet stink. I mean, they are caked in mud. And so it was very customary for immediately your feet to be washed. And that was given to the lowest slave, the lowest ranking person in the room. That's the person who did it. And so this was the situation when the disciples got to that final dinner and nobody wanted to do it. And yet Jesus, he picked up, right? He picked up the towel and he picked up the basin. So what are we talking about here? He demonstrated his love in tangible, concrete ways. And again, this was pointing to the most concrete way, his death on the cross. But your love has to be tangible, has to be concrete. Jesus saw real need in that room. Okay, everyone here has caked feet. We're all here for the final supper. No one is washing anyone's feet. I'm going to meet this need. Okay, this is what we're talking about. He met a practical, real need. This is what his love did. You know what it would be kind of like is your boss, 
Or maybe if you go to school, you're a student, the president of your school showing up one day at your house, ding dong, you open the door, you're like, whoo, what are you doing here, right? You can't even talk, really. You don't have the words. And your boss or the president of your school comes in and says, you know what, I really wanted to bless somebody. Maybe, maybe this is a TV show, I don't know, Undercover Boss. And this boss says, I really want to do your laundry. And they immediately go into your dirty hamper in your bedroom Okay, without even asking permission, and grabs out your dirty laundry. And imagine your boss or the president of your school grabbing your underwear. Okay, just picture this. Okay, picking your underwear out of that hamper, takes that stained stick, begins to rub out those skid marks, right? And then imagine, as this is happening, what are you thinking? Oh, my gosh, right? You're freaking out. This is the most awkward thing. Put that down, please. Please put it down. Okay, you don't have to do this. Please put it, right? You don't, you don't have to go there. Okay, if you want to do something, maybe like wash my bed sheets, don't, don't, you don't need to wash my underwear, right? Okay, well, what am I saying? This is the equivalent of what Jesus did. This was the lowest thing that anyone in that room could have done for the other people. It's the equivalent of your boss washing your underwear. Okay, the most menial task, something that your mom wouldn't even do if you live at home. <laughs> so you wash your own underwear. And yet this is what Jesus did. And so Jesus picked up the towel and the basin. And you know what? Human nature, we don't like that. Okay, we, we, we don't want that. We don't want it for ourselves. And frankly, we don't even want other people doing that for us. Okay, the lowest thing, the most menial thing is very awkward. Okay, we see this with Peter when Jesus finally got around to washing Peter's feet. Peter immediately said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And I understand Peter. Okay, this is a very strange and awkward thing. This is backwards. You're the Lord. Okay, you're my teacher. I'm going to wash your feet, right? Never mind, Peter didn't think of it earlier. But he didn't want to. He didn't want Jesus to. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to do this for you. Okay, I'm going to wash your feet. And so this is what Jesus said to Peter. If you do not let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me. Why? Because this is my love for you. You need to receive this in order now for you to also live like this. See, unless you do that, receive my love and begin to share that love with others, you have no part in me. Okay, what does that mean? You're not a Christian. Okay, you're not a Christian. And so, what should this do to us, right? If this is the love that God wants to pour into your heart and demonstrate all around you, he wants you to literally show that same love to others, then what should we do? Okay, what, what should we do? Well, we should let Jesus wash our feet. If your boss or president shows up to your house and wants to wash your underwear, let him or let her, right? Let them. And then afterwards, go do the same, right? Let that love fill you again and let it pour out, pour through you. So that's the second thing, in tangible, concrete ways, Jesus loved us to the very end. And then finally, here's the fifth mark. His love didn't withhold. It didn't withhold. And this is a short point. But his love didn't withhold. Look at John 13, 21 and 26. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it begins with this statement. Okay, look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Okay, don't miss that point. 
the very top of chapter 13, when that story of washing the feet is beginning, God makes it very clear, don't miss this, Judas had already been prompted by the enemy to betray Jesus. Judas already knew in his heart, I'm going to betray Jesus. And then what did Jesus do from that point on? He washed Judas' feet. Okay, his, his love didn't withhold. So I want us to take a step back and think about that for a moment. Okay, think about what it would have required for Jesus to do that. Okay, these are just stories to us, but if you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, okay, Jesus knew this man is about to betray me to death. Because of him, I'm going to die. Of course, there's a greater reason he died, God's sovereign plan. But because of Judas, I'm about to get arrested and be killed on the cross. And yet, he went to Judas, and without even saying a word, he washed his feet. Again, these are just stories to us, but just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Okay, what would that require? And now, take a brief moment and think about someone God has placed in your life that he wants you to accept unconditionally. I don't think any of us have people who want to betray us. Maybe you do, but most likely not unto death. But I'm sure there are people in our lives that it is very hard to love. Okay, they have hurt us. They have hurt me. Okay, maybe you're thinking of someone. That person has hurt me in a very deep way. And yet, Jesus' love reaches out and does not withhold. Okay, this is what we're talking about. See, this is real, brothers and sisters. This is not just a Bible study. This is not just a theological lesson. Okay, this is real stuff. His love does not withhold, even to the one that deserves it even the least, far more, less than even the other disciples, Judas Iscariot. And so think about that person in your life. What is it that makes you uncomfortable in them? Okay, what, what is it that makes you repulse away from them? Like, you know, just kind of cringe away. Well, Jesus understands that. Okay, what is it about that person that makes you uncomfortable? Jesus understands that. You don't think Jesus felt uncomfortable washing Jesus' feet? Jesus understands that. And yet, he still showed love unconditionally. Now, this doesn't mean that we overlook sin. Jesus never overlooked Judas' sin. Judas is paying for that sin even today. Okay, he was under the judgment of God. Even as Jesus washed his feet, showing love. Okay, Jesus never overlooked the sin. But he still showed that love, right? He still showed unconditional love to that person. And so again, who might this be in your life? Okay, maybe somebody with a different personality from you just rubs you the wrong way. Maybe somebody who has a totally different political point of view. Again, I'm not saying we need to accept all that, but are you showing unconditional love? Somebody with a completely different lifestyle. Okay, I mentioned a group out here earlier. Again, we are not at all, and you know this, if you came to our church for a while, we do not overlook sin at all. We will call out what is sinful, what is not in line with God's word, but we're still called to show love. Sometimes the greatest way to show love is speak the truth, but you don't only speak the truth. But what person is there in your life? Maybe somebody who's just completely just in conflict with you. Okay, maybe they were a friend before, but now they're an enemy and they are in conflict with you. Okay, who is this person? Jesus' love does not withhold. Amen? So this is the picture that we have here. Okay, th these are the marks of Jesus' love. And my prayer is that our church would begin to display these marks more and more. It's not going to happen as we do it on our own. We need to receive his love first. Amen? Okay, let's bow. Let's bow. Today is Communion Sunday, and we're going to actually spend a brief moment, not too long. It's getting hot.
Although I'm enjoying this breeze. There's suddenly a breeze here today. But let's just come before the Lord, and I just want to spend a brief moment just asking God, God, okay, your love is unbelievable. If you were to just meditate on what this is, it would completely change your life. You would literally become a different person to the point where people will not recognize you. I'm talking about that dramatic of a change. Because chances are you're not living a life of this kind of love right now, but it's rather a life of selfishness, of self-love, maybe trying to love others a little bit here and there when it's convenient, but it is not marked by this love. And neither am I marked by this love. But as we come to the Lord, as we receive his love through repentance and faith in him, see his love upon the cross and begin to receive that openly in our hearts, then you will be transformed to the point where your friends, your parents, the people closest to you will not recognize you. So can we pray for that? Let's just come before the Lord and briefly just say, God, can you begin to fill me with that kind of love? I mean, is it that dramatic? Yes. But can you fill me with that kind of love?